This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Achoo! This is Christopher Jones, the artist of Parallel Man. You're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha Deep below the metro area where we're not f***ing playing two dots, we're hosting a show. Oh, aren't we? It is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 181 of THN where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, October 8th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. When I'm not speaking in hashtags to impress you youngins, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for hashtagworthpoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, that's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not playing spiritual guide and editor for my co-host's Twitter reactions... I almost exploded. <laughs> I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. In this week's episode, you're going to hear our totally vegan reviews of Batgirl number 1 and Parallel Man number 1. After that, we're going to review 10 more of this week's new comics. Faster than we can get kicked off a plane for Ebola jokes. Hashtag the- Ebola. <laughs> during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll take off our containment suits briefly to discuss a couple of next week's comics. And finally, we're playing Ask a Nerd, where we're going to answer one lucky listener's burning question. So, until such time as anyone posts a video of the Palin family brawl that happened earlier this week, and I know it's out there. Come on, Internet. Don't let me down. Until such time, let's sit back, <laughs> relax, and then we'll talk about this week's big news! We got big news! Though the New York Comic Con approached like a tidal wave ready to sweep away everything it hits, that didn't stop publishers from making major announcements early this week. Marvel Comics led the pack when they announced the unbeatable Squirrel Girl, an all-new ongoing series starring the arguably fan-favorite character launching in January. Ryan North of Dinosaur Comics, Adventure Time, and the Midas Flesh fame will write the series, which will be drawn by newcomer Erica Henderson. He's totally great, by the way. I love him. According to Marvel, quote, Wolverine, Doctor Doom, Deadpool, Thanos. What do they have in common? Squirrel Girl has beaten them all. True story. She may not be the most popular hero. She may not even be known by most of the general public, but she loves being Squirrel Girl. Loves helping people. And even though they don't know it, she's saved the world more times than she can count. But now she faces an enemy unlike any she's ever faced before. College! With her steadfast squirrel sidekick and best friend Tippy Toe at her side, Squirrel Girl's misadventures in higher education will take her all across the Marvel Universe and put the greatest of the Great Lakes Avengers up against some of the deadliest foes in the Marvel Universe. They shouldn't have used Marvel Universe twice in the same sentence, including Galactus! whiplash and more end quote in an interview with marvel.com writer ryan north said quote the first arc kicks off with squirrel girl moving into campus and then confronting craven the hunter who is cheesed off at squirrels for reasons that will be revealed it's like a standalone adventure where we get to see the kind of life she's trying to have and then that all gets thrown for a loop when someone even more powerful than craven shows up end quote Matt, I already know that you're a grumpy old man that's terrified of women, but can you at least pretend to be happy for those of us that are fans of this kind of lighthearted adventure? This sounds funny, and it sounds fun. I don't have a problem with Squirrel Girl. I have a problem with people that are sexually attracted to her because you're perverts and you're disgusting. She's not really a squirrel. Doesn't matter. She has a tail. Okay? She's a mutant. That's right. With a tail. And you furry freaks think it's sexy. Listen, you know who else has a tail? Beyond Nightcrawler. Perversion. I'm not sexually attracted to Nightcrawler. I just sure think you badass. Are. Right? Sure you're not. <laughs> My question is, are they de-aging her? College? She's in college. She is? Yeah, she's young. She's always been young? I, I don't know. I just felt like the last time we saw her in the Avengers, she was more squirrel woman than squirrel girl. Oh, no, anymore. no. She's she's definitely college aged. Okay. I, I mean, I don't know. Admittedly, I don't know a lot about squirrel girl. Mm-hmm. This sounds fun. This sounds, we're going to get to this in a little bit, but this sounds like an appropriate character to do a young, hip college version of. (laughs) I don't know, because there's really not a lot of back matter that you have to worry about. You can just do this and it'll be a good time. I just want you to follow me on this journey real quick. Okay. In the comics, it's been established that Squirrel Girl is like in love with Robbie Baldwin, a.k.a. Speedball. Oh my God. How does it always go to this? I'm telling you. (laughs) With last week's rumor 
that Speedball, or at least Robbie Baldwin, will be appearing somewhere, probably Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, God. And the notion that Luke Cage and Jessica Jones are both getting their own shows on Netflix, Squirrel Girl was their nanny. Squirrel Girl is not going to be on the show. I will nerd bet. Nerd bet. Let's go. Squirrel Girl appears somewhere in the Marvel Cinematic Universe sometime in the next two years. I'll take it. No. You know what? I'll stretch it to five. Awesome. Let's take it to five. Deal. No way. Okay, so we've already got nerd bet. Squirrel Girl is going to be live action. You said she would appear live action. I said no way. Maybe animated is what I said. You said animated, and now you're saying no way at all. And I'm saying no way at all. So, I mean, is this a different bet, or do we add it to this bet? I'm saying if you want to update the current bet, I am... I am. Okay, I'll get rid of that. Let's get rid of the animated thing. You'll say Squirrel Girl, live action, next no, five years. I'm saying years. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Next five years. Well, where else would it be? Well, sure. <laughs> it's going to show up in DC? What? All right, but here's the thing. If they instead say they're going to make a Squirrel Girl cartoon, I don't want to hear any No, well, that's... I mean, that wouldn't count towards this bet. <laughs> and we got rid of the animated thing. Boom. Nerd bet. Regardless, this sounds like a fun time. And there's another way. You're like, Squirrel Girl, do whatever you want with her. Who cares? There's not enough back matter. Like, there's not enough back matter or character to really freak out about, you know? Valiant Entertainment has announced Valiant Next, a wave of six all-new ongoing series and prestige format projects. Beginning in December, you'll get hit with The Valiant, number one of four, by Jeff Lemire, Matt Kent, and Paulo Rivera. That is a f***ing kick-ass lineup. Here's a solicit. The Eternal Warrior has protected the Earth for more than 10,000 years. A master of countless weapons and long-forgotten martial arts, he is guided by the Geomancers, those who speak for the Earth. During his long watch, the Eternal Warrior has failed three times. Each time, the Geomancer was killed, and a new dark age for humanity began. Each time, he was unable to stop the immortal enemy, a monstrous force of nature, a civilization killer, a horror that appears differently each time it arrives, like Gozer the Gozerian. Yeah. Choose the form of your destructor. And whose seemingly only purpose is to bring disorder and darkness to the world. Now, the time has come for the immortal enemy to return once more. But this time, the Eternal Warrior is going to be ready. This time, he has a force greater than any single warrior. This time, he has the Valiant. Is that a team of dudes? Yeah, I think it's like a group. Okay, okay. It's got Bloodshot, and it's got the Geomancer... Eternal Warrior, obviously. Cool. Yeah, it's like a group. Next up, Ivar Timewalker, number one by Fred Van Lenty and Clayton Henry, coming in January. Just solicit at this very moment in Geneva, Switzerland. History is being made. A thousand meters underground inside the Large Hadron Collider, researcher Neela Seti is about to discover time travel and jeopardize her life in the process. But she doesn't know that yet. Ten minutes from now, every deadbeat chrononaut wannabe conqueror and misguided protector of the time stream will be banging down her door. Good thing the legendary Evar Timewalker got there first, right? Question mark. Now it's down to history's most jaded, most tempestuous time traveler to stop the worst of everything that is, was, and will be before time runs out. Sounds like Rip Hunter if he was an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like Rip Hunter if he was Rip Torn. <laughs> That's... What? If he was flamboyantly gay? <laughs> no, that's uh you're thinking of Rip Taylor. Oh, I'm sorry, I was thinking of Rip Taylor. Rip Torn is oh, uh, yeah, Rip Torn from, from Men, in, Men Black. in Black. That's right. Don Geis from 30 Rock. Mm -hmm. Next up is Divinity number one four-issue miniseries by Matt Kent and Trevor Harrison coming in February. At the height of the Cold War, the Soviet Union, determined to win the space race at any cost, greenlit a dangerously advanced mission. They sent a man farther into the cosmos than anyone has gone before or since. Lost in the stars. He encountered something unknown, something that changed him. Long thought lost and erased from the history books, he has suddenly returned, crash landing in the Australian outback. The few that have been able to reach him believe him to be a deity, one who turned the scorched desert into lush oasis. They say he can bend matter, space, and even time to his will. Earth is about to meet a new god, and he's a communist! hey -o. How long can it be before the first confrontation between mankind and divinity begins? Yeah, I'm not a religious guy, but if there is a God, I would say he's probably not a capitalist. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no. <laughs> this is a brand new character. Yes, no? Uh, well, yeah, I think this is a new... New character? Character. So, I, I don't... I mean, I'm not familiar enough with classic Valiant to know. Next up is Imperium number one by Joshua Dysart and Dougie Braithwaite. Coming in February... Here's your solicit. Toyo Harada is the most dangerous human being on the planet, imbued with incredible powers of the mind. 
He has spent his life guiding humanity from the shadows, but today he's a wanted man. His powers are public knowledge. I almost said pubic. His allies have turned to enemies, and he is hunted by every government on the planet. Instead of surrendering, Harada has one last unthinkable gambit to play to achieve more, faster, and with less, he will build a coalition of the powerful, the unscrupulous, and the insane. No longer content to demand a better future, he will recruit a violent legion from the darkest corners of the earth to fight for it. The battle for Utopia begins now. I love Harbinger. I love the character of Toyo Harada. He's sort of uh, Valiant Sinestro, I guess. Sure. He, he thinks he's doing the right thing to protect everyone. But he's super evil. But he's a bad guy. <laughs> this sounds kick-ass. I'm so far behind, I have no opinion. Shame on you. I know. Shame on you. Ninjack, number one, by Matt Kent and Clay Mann, coming in March. Then, meet inexperienced MI6 recruit Colin King on his first mission in the field as he learns the basics of spycraft and counterintelligence and develops a volatile relationship with his first Handler. I quit playing Spycraft for that last push. That last push. It just got ridiculous. <laughs> now, Colin King is Ninjack, the world's foremost intelligence operative, weapons expert, and master assassin. And he's hunting the Shadow Seven, a secret cabal of shinobi masters with mysterious ties to his training and tragic past. For the first time, Ninjack's past and future collide in the pages of an all-new ongoing series. I love Ninjack. I love Ninjack too. But I love the new Ninjack yeah. way more. Oh, yeah, yeah, it yeah, yeah. so much cooler because they're not messing around with like, let's make him relatable. Let's make him a kid. Let's make him funny. Oh, no, no, no. They're like, no, let's make him a badass ninja with all manner of badass ninja shit going on. <laughs> like a ninja so badass that he might be able to kill Exo Manowar. <laughs> like, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I loved him in the early issues of Exo Manowar. I think it's awesome that he's getting his own book. Yeah. I feel like this was announced so long ago that they teased it at least. Um, but maybe just hit the back burner. Well, I, I, maybe you're thinking of like when Ninjak popped up in Exo Manowar. Like they talked about that for a while. But I feel like that there was a teaser for an actual Ninjak series, but that would have been more than a year yeah, ago. Yeah, I think that's true. And maybe they did just spin cycle it into it, this. Cycle it back. Anyway, regardless, I'm into it. I love Ninjak. Clay Man. We're going to talk about him more in a little bit here. I do like Clay Man. He has gotten so good. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Bloodshot Reborn, number one by Jeff Lemire and Miko Suyan in April. Your solicit, Bloodshot's nanites made him a nearly unstoppable killing machine. His enhanced strength, speed, endurance, and healing made him the perfect weapon. And he served his masters at Project Rising Spirit. Dash, a private contractor trafficking in violence. Dash, very well. Now, <laughs> Bloodshot is a shadow of his former self. He lives in self-imposed exile, reeling from the consequences of his past life and the recent events that nearly drove him mad. But when a rash of shootings by gunmen who appear to look just like Bloodshot begins, his guilt will send him on a mission to stop the killers, even if it means diving headlong into the violence that nearly destroyed him. Bloodshot's totally great. Jeff Lemire is an amazing writer. Miko Suyan has been working on Bloodshot before, and he's so good. And more of this, I'm in. Again, way behind. In their press release, Valiant CEO and Chief Creative Officer, oh, here we go, Dinesh Shamdasani, I think I nailed that, said, quote, Valiant Next taps into the same creative energy that made Valiant one of the most legendary comic book companies of all time. When I was a kid, one of the best things about Valiant was picking up an issue with a brand new character like Exo Manowar or Ninjak. I'm excited that we're doing that again now with a series like Divinity and Imperium. So yes, new characters. And that's only a fraction of what we have coming next. According to Valiant Editor-in-Chief Warren Simons, quote, it's a kick-ass time to be a Valiant fan, Joe. Backflip. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, you know, I'm really glad to see this and because it it's felt kind of, to me, like Valiant's been kind of winding down. That's the sense I've gotten just, just because like Harbinger ended and Bloodshot kind of tapered Man, off. I don't think so. Well, I know, I know. But that's just kind of how it, it has seemed since I've been behind because this Armor Hunters thing, yeah. I feel like it kind of fizzled a little. Oh, I really liked it. I'm glad to hear it. But I've also been it. keeping up. I've sure. also been very current sure. with it. I, I guess I feel like it has excitement about it has kind of dipped since the early. Well, they're certainly not. Yeah. Kicking out all the new appearances and new number ones and stuff. Here, here's what I like about what Valiant's doing. They're doing the opposite of what both Marvel and DC are doing. They're not letting stories run past their course. They're not constantly renumbering. They're yeah. building a universe 
series by series that will start and end when it needs to, not because it's selling well or because everybody likes this character. Let's give him a book for whatever reason. This stuff makes sense. And these guys are definitely talking to each other and they've built a seamless world. If you like continuity, you would love Valiant. And now, I do. That can also shoot you in the foot, you know, where you fall behind a little bit and you got to go back and read a lot of stuff. Right. But there's also stuff like Quantum and Woody, Archer and Armstrong, or the Quantum and Woody, Archer and Armstrong team up that's going on right now. You could pick those up anywhere and they're just absolutely hilarious and fun. I'm glad they're coming back strong with another new crop of books. Yeah. I think they all sound awesome. And when you got Matt I'm, Kent and Jeff Lemire driving like the creative hell force yes. behind this, hell wow. yes. I am ex especially excited for Divinity. I think that one sounds amazing sounds about a cosmonaut that was lost and comes back as a god. Hell yes. Sign Maybe. me up. Might be a god. We don't know. Well, godlike, right? Yeah. He's got vast cosmic powers. I guess. I'm into it. I'm excited. Bring it on, Valiant. Good job. Catch up, will you? I will. Jesus. Gee, God. Archie Comics has made a name for themselves as the company that isn't afraid to push the boundaries and to create a world for their characters that reflects a society of tolerance and understanding. Now from the publisher that brought Kevin Keller, The Punisher, and the cast of Glee to Riverdale, brace yourselves for AVP, Archie versus Predator. It's natural. A totally natural. Coming <laughs> this spring. Progression. Right? I mean, come right. on. <laughs> Grindhouse. Doors open at midnight. Writer Alex DeCampi will script the series, which will feature art by veteran Archie penciler Fernando Ruiz. In a press release, Archie described the series saying, quote, that makes it sound like Archie, the character, yeah. is describing Archie versus Predator. Archie and friends hit Costa Rica for spring break, where party and beach games soon get replaced by the most dangerous game. What mysterious attraction does the gang hold for the trophy-collecting Predator? And will the kids even realize they're in danger before it claims them all? End quote. USA Today spoke to Alex DeCampi, who said, quote, Let's take this gentle, beloved, classic teen cast and hump them down and slaughter them one by one. <laughs> Seriously, if you wouldn't jump at the chance to write something like this, you need your head examined. I'll be putting in little Easter eggs from the film throughout the story, still working out a situation in which it would be feasible for an Archie character to say, I'm a goddamn sexual tyrannosaur. My sounds favorite like, Jesse the Body Ventura line of all time. <laughs> sounds like a Reggie line, end quote. <laughs> Matt Bottom, would come out of Keller. <laughs> this will make you a goddamn sexual tyrannosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Keller scraping chaw out of his lip. Oh, jeez. This sounds awesome. How many copies should I put you down for? All of them. I'm in. I don't care anymore. Like, I, Archie, it's like I'm picking up regular issues of, like, Betty and Veronica just to see if anything <laughs> weird happens. I don't know how this happened, but Archie, we've said it again and again and again. Archie's become, like, the most exciting comic pu publisher in the business just by murdering everyone that lives in Riverdale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they don't have to really even try at this point. If they don't, Yeah, they could sell a million copies of this without even trying. This is going to be awesome. Good job, Archie. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up on the THN forums where Joe and I are pitching our idea for Riverhouse, the story of Archie, a good-looking badass kung fu bouncer that moves to the local hick town of Riverdale to clean up his old friend Pop Tate's rough-and-tumble bar that pays for protection from the local corrupt millionaire, Mr. Lodge. I would love to see a panel of a shirtless Archie telling Nurse Betty, Ain't on her. As she's pumping staples into him. I wouldn't be surprised. Roadhouse, baby. Roadhouse. Yeah, I get it. Okay, make it sure. Every Sunday, my favorite sexual tyrannosaur, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in the THN forums. Joe, what are we asking the listeners this week? This week's question is courtesy of Stephen Kohler. Love that guy. One of our forum members. Longtime listener, too. You bet. Who is your least favorite character that a company keeps shoving down your throat? I love this. <laughs> Here is Stephen's example. Quote, I love the Fantastic Four, but I can't stand Valeria. She has to be the most annoying character ever. I like Valeria more than Franklin. I like Valeria, too, but that's okay. <laughs> That's that's Stevens. Your mileage may vary. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think we're gonna have a lot of fun with it. We're gonna like get to vent a lot. We're oh, gonna yeah. feel cathartic afterwards. Hate fest. Here we go. You have until five p.m. Central Time. That's official now. We've been saying midnight. Now it's. Five. I know. Listen, things happen. You Pay attention. Five p.m. This coming <laughs> Friday, October fifteenth, to get us your answer. You can call, leave a message with your answer using Skype. 
the Skype handle is two-headed nerd, all one word. I dare you to try it. Yeah. Or you can call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. You can also send an MP3 to two-headed at gmail.com. Remember, in all of these cases, keep it under three minutes. You will get cut off either by us or by Google. Skype will probably not even record you. No, probably not. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer. Give us a list. Give us your top 10 most hated over at the question of the week section of the THN web forums where this very question came from. It's true. It's review time on THN where Joe and I pull aside two comics and screen their health before you read them. Joe, what did you pick to read this week? And did you see any fever symptoms? I'm feeling fine. No, not you. Oh. The comic. I don't know why I said that. I don't either. Pay attention. <laughs> we may have to screen you next. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> My comic this week is Parallel Man number one from Future Dude. Best company name ever. Written by Jeffrey Morris and Frederick Haugen. Hagen? Haugen? You decide. With art by Christopher Jones. It's 36 pages. It's $3.99. Imagine infinite Earths scattered across a vast multiverse, some very similar, others drastically different. One world might be encased in a frozen ice age, while another is populated by roaming dinosaurs that never became extinct. On one of these Earths, instead of building an atomic bomb to win World War II, the United States developed the ability to travel through the multiverse. After using this advantage to end the conflict and conquer its enemies, their world was left virtually uninhabitable. They were forced to annex other worlds for their very survival, this was the genesis of the Ascendancy. This deadly regime has spread to encompass a dozen parallel universes, leaving their resources extracted and their populations enslaved. Unfortunately for us, our world is the next target. Son of a bitch. Oh, dang. Parallel Man number one hits the ground running, and the title page tells you everything you need to know about the premise. I appreciated the way the creative team got straight down to business without pages of hand-holding exposition. Ascendancy agent Nick Morgan is our main character here, and while the writers don't devote a lot of time to developing his personality in this issue, Nick is familiar enough as the hero rebelling against the tyrannical organization that he once served. Nick's grandfather, Tobias, is a member of a dissident group called the Futurists, and while Nick searches for the weapon his grandfather built to stop the Ascendancy, the Ascendancy searches for Tobias himself. As the events play out, Nick leads the Ascendancy agents on a chase through the multiverse, Writers Morris and Hagen show that the multiverse is more than just a series of subtle what-ifs and features several alternate Earths that are truly alien compared to our own. The more I look at that, the more I think it's Haugen. Yeah, it's probably Haugen. It's probably Haugen. Yeah, that's right. I really liked the art by Christopher Jones. There isn't anything especially flashy about it, but his storytelling is clear. His designs for the Ascendancy technology are interesting, and the alternate universes that he brings to life are fully realized. It's a well-drawn issue all around. Parallel Man reads like a comic that's tailor-made for adaptation into film, television, or video games. Where was this book last week when we did the question of the week? Yeah, no doubt. I absolutely love the premise. I'm a sucker for a good multiverse. And I think this would be a ton of fun to watch as a serialized show. It's got a great hook that I won't spoil, though the description of the book on the back does its best to do so. Chris Jones sent us this review copy, and I appreciate it. This is what could happen to you. Send us your review copy. There you go. There you go. It's out now in print and digital. I'm giving it a buy it. I really like this too. I love real highbrow sci-fi. You know, I'm heavy into it. Big, thick storyline, crazy premise, you know. Mm -hmm. But the hardest thing to do, it's e probably, it's easy to come up with a premise. It's hard to keep it relatable and steer a character through your extremely high premise sci-fi. They did a really nice job of not getting lost in their story here, of not giving us pages and pages and pages of explanation, just dropping us in there. And the art as well. Jones is not the most polished of artists, obviously. He has some amateurish qualities, but he did a fantastic job of staying within his wheelhouse and working really well there, knowing what he's capable of and not getting lost in it and not trying to do things that he shouldn't do. I Like... I loved the reptile man planet. I loved the, it was the China planet where like Chinese industry took over everything. Yeah, know? it was kind of like Snowpiercer <laughs> world yeah, or something. It right? was really cool. I had a lot of fun with this. I'm also giving it a really huge buy it. Yeah, well done, guys. 
Mabom, tell us about the internet's most divisive comic book. Yeah, man. People lost their when they read Bad Girl 35 from DC, written by Cameron Stewart and Brendan Fletcher with art by Babstar, 32 pages long. And again, they are drawing the line at $2.99. Joe and I had to come up with a whole new definition for what happened in this issue. And I believe we have settled on Stealth Reboot. Yeah. Stealth Because re- I, this is so different. Yes. Right. Stealth Reboot. That's where we ended up. You see, DC decided to take the non-Marvel approach and reboot Batgirl without giving her a new first issue. Instead, it's issue 35, and it's business as usual for Babs. Nothing seems to have changed for our heroine other than she moved to Burnside, a part of Gotham I've never heard mentioned. She's going to college parties with her two roommate besties, who we've never heard mentioned, and she's getting wasted and making out with hot dudes. Yep, that's our Batgirl, right? (laughs) Look, I'm not going to get into gender politics here, and to be honest, I didn't hate the tone of this comic. Barbara Gordon is probably the perfect character to do something like this with, but the jarring way that we got here was just too much for me. I'm all for Batgirl being a comic for the ladies. We need more of them. And the hipster female voice that pervaded this comic was right out of Lena Dunham's HBO Girls series. My problem is is Barbara Gordon, as I have come to know her for the last 15 to 20 years, is the polar opposite of what I read here. I get it. The new creative team is starting over. I read all the catchphrases in the previews and solicits about breathing new life into the character, but my neck hurt after reading this. I've been in car accidents that didn't leave me with whiplash this bad. Who are these f***ing roommates? When did Babs decide to move? Was she in college in the Simone series? I honestly don't know. To be fair, I believe that she is a graduate student. Okay. The tone of her character shifted so violently here that I couldn't even recognize her. There just seemed to be no reason for anything that happened here other than Batgirl needs to be hip, dot, 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 go. I like the new costume, but why is it so fashion forward? The last one she was wearing was bulletproof and like leathery and stuff. Uh, This one is just kind of, I mean, it looks cool, but it's just kind of thrown together. It doesn't even have like elbow pads in case she falls. (laughs) I don't even mind Babs moving to a new hood, but when did she make the instantaneous jump to super hipster? I can see why someone who's never read Batgirl might like this. It was very female empowered. She takes on a super internet misogynist. All her friends are liberal thinking and empowered, and the art by Babs Tar is fantastic. Her Mike Alred meets Darwin Cook style just leaps off the page. It really was beautiful. The writers did a fantastic job incorporating apps and tech that we've all come to recognize in our own lives into the story, although it did get a little tiresome towards the end. I hated that. My problem was not with any of that. The story broke down for me in the details. How Did Barbara get here? Some of this was a little on the nose. Yes, the internet pornographer with cybernetic implants to steal naughty pics from your phone and laptop was dumb, but I see what they were going for. They wanted to give a physical face to the scum of the internet for Babs to punch. But the villain speaking in hashtags was just over the top stupid. There's no way around it. I'm sorry. And I'm not going to say that anyone did a terrible job I will say that it feels forced. It feels completely hefted onto Bab's character for the sake of making her cool, edgy, and more hipster realistic. I can't help but feel a little abandoned by this new Batgirl, but DC is obviously taking aim and firing this comic at a young, hip, female demographic, which is fine, but it's not for me. I can't wait to see the waif pale vegan Hawkman searching for old blue 78s at an estate sale when he's not spiking trees and liberating animals from testing facilities next. I can't give this a leave it because it was not poorly executed, but I'm only giving it a skim it because who the f- is this Batgirl? <laughs> okay. See, and I agree. They've completely changed this character to appeal to a different demographic and that's fine. That's fine. And so I, ha- you have to judge it outside of yourself, right? You can't sure. say, well, this isn't my Batgirl. I right. hate it. And I'm sorry that I'm doing that, but I can't help it. Sure. And I mean, and I get it. And it's not necessarily for me either, though I do 
there's a part of me that loves you know books like this, like Ms. Marvel and and Lumberjanes and the Squirrel Girl thing. I'm very excited about, and that's what the problem is for me. Yes, is that I think, and to be perfectly fair, this might not be DC's fault. It might be my mistaken perception. But when they announced this change, I thought it was going to be more along those lines. You know, not like super young teenage girl, but lighthearted, fun, adventure, slightly more all ages. Okay, that's not your fault. That is not your fault. And here's why. Because the execution of this was the problem. It was so sudden and violent. When we didn't go from Batgirl 34 to Batgirl 1, we went from 34 to 35. But so again, there's three years of Gail Simone's Batgirls acting like this to here's Batgirl acting completely different. No, that's not the problem. The problem, I understand, I understood going into it that she was going to be different. That's not the problem. The problem is that I thought it was going to be different. And then you get to the part of the book where you realize that the villain is putting out dick pics and stealing people's nudies yeah. and posting them on the internet. And then he flips her off and calls her a bitch. And it was jarring for me because I didn't think it was going to be. It's a level of maturity above what I thought it was going to be. It's much more college aged adult young woman. I reread it this morning. My reaction was a little bit softer the second time because I understand completely that the villain is uh, obviously a parody. Of course. He's got a tattoo on his arm in old English font that says no regrets. <laughs> and that's something that they don't call attention to. So he's ridiculous on purpose, and maybe they went a little too far with it. Felt like this was more Scott Pilgrim than it was Batgirl. Okay, and that's just you it. Know? Is that if it was more like Scott Pilgrim, I'd love it. Maybe, but like maybe Barbara Gordon's not the character to do that with. Maybe Stephanie Brown is the character to do that with. No, I think Barbara is the perfect character at DC right now. Even though she's always been kind of a nerd and she's never been this See, kind of hipster. See, you keep judging I mean, it based on the old Batgirl. How can this I not? This is a reboot of Batgirl. We talked about it at the beginning of I your get review. That, but how can I not when you go from 34 to 35? Not number one and it's totally different. But that's, that's when you stop at saying, it's not for me, skim it. I'm saying that most people that read this book are not going to be judging it based on what Batgirl used to be like. I get that. So I'm judging it based on what they gave us. And I agree that it's way out of character for Batgirl. Yeah, that's way I, out I of can't character. I can't get over it. I'm sorry. I do agree that maybe this was a little too forced. To use your favorite term, it was kind of ham-fisted. It was completely ham-fisted. Uh, I think that it does a fine job setting up the premise. I think it goes too far with the hipster I'm giving it a, a skim it as well, not because of the style, but because of the execution. I had to actually Google what a fixie was. I know a lot of dudes that ride fixed gear bicycles. I've never heard that term. Okay. And for and personally, I think if you're riding a fixed gear bicycle, you're an idiot. And I would love you to explain to me why it's any better than my geared bicycle that I can kick your ass on, <laughs> you know? It's a separate podcast. Like, you're like having trouble riding up hills? Good for you. <laughs> it's a different podcast, man. That is a double buy it for Parallel Man number one and a double skim it for Batgirl 35 because we're too big of pansies to give it or leave it. Of course, we want to know what you time-traveling duos and Tinder victims thought of these comics. So hit us up over at the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the hashtag forum button at hashtag twoheadednerd hashtag.com. Hashtag. This plane is definitely crashing! We're all packed and ready to go. NYCC, here we come. I got Mac packed and dressed. Our Uber driver showed up early. Things couldn't have gone smoother until a certain wannabe comedian started making Ebola jokes on the plane. It was funny, okay? Instantly, a group of people dressed like AIM scientists are dragging us both off the plane to take our temperatures and check us for symptoms. I think this was a Jewish thing. So nicely done, funny guy. I guess we'll just have to review 10 of this week's comics while quarantined in our private plastic bubble during the ludicrous fucking speed round. You're all so overly, wonderfully sensitive. Ludicrous speed, go! Witches, number one from Image. Scott Snyder and Jock reunite for this horror tale featuring witches as a much more primal creature than you might be accustomed to seeing. Not the most original setup. Family with a dark secret moves to a new town, but trouble follows. 
but it was legitimately creepy and, of course, gorgeous. Honestly, most of the horror in this first issue came from the humans, not the monsters, but I liked it a lot. Buy it! War Stories number one from Avatar. Garth Ennis brings back his masterful war stories, this time at Avatar, with the amazing talents of Matt Martin on art duties. Here, we get the story of a college boy shipped off to World War II England to join the crew of a B-17 flying fortress, but things don't go quite as planned. Martin's pencils here are amazing. His illustrations of the B-17 bombers are is simply breathtaking, but he really shines when he's drawing them exploding. Ennis can write these stories in his sleep, and I never get tired of them. War comic fan or not, you should pick this up and read this, especially if you think that you don't like war comics. He's really, really good at this. Buy it. Birthright, number one, from Image slash Skybound. The trend of me loving Skybound comics that Robert Kirkman has nothing to do with continues. Ghosted writer Joshua Williamson joins artist Andre Bresson for this new series that's equal parts Flight of the Navigator and Lord of the Rings. Weird. I I got to read this a while back, and I absolutely loved it. Beautifully drawn by Bresson with help by Adriano Lucas. Don't pass it up. Buy it. Crimson Society, number one from Danger Zone. Ah. Writer Mike Hunau. Hunau? Gives us the story of Jack Crimson who lives in the near future where vampires, werewolves, and zombies live side by side with humanity. Jack volunteers for a procedure that will cure him of his lycanthropy, that fancy talk for werewolfism, but ends up turning him into a weapon to be used for killing vampires. There's a lot going on here, but Hanau keeps things moving, and artist Carlos Trigo does a nice job with this thick line cartooning. Nothing groundbreaking, but not bad at all. Strong skimming. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, number one. Archie continues its descent into madness with a comic that, no joke, features a character that makes a habit of summoning Satan over to his house for kicks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this was beautifully drawn and colored by Robert Hack from a pitch-perfect script by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. And you know what? It was scarier than witches. Jesus. This is a perfect companion series to Afterlife with Archie. Huge buy it. This is like... Sorry about the comics code, folks. <laughs> yeah. We're making up for all of that shit. Dead Squad, number one from IDW. This is the latest from Darby Pop. Don't worry, I've never heard of it either, but it's an imprint run by Transformers Prime and Rescue Boss producer Jeff Klein. Written by Matthew Fetterman and Steven Skaya, Dead Squad follows three Delta Force soldiers sent to recover a secret formula from unknown agents on a mission that will not only get them killed, but see them return from the dead as traitors to their nation. It wasn't bad. Son of a bitch. But it had a very macho Hollywood 90s feel to it and a long car chase that really didn't work at all. I like the idea, but the dialogue and the motives got a little silly. The art wasn't bad, but did look heavily photo referenced to me. Not bad. Not great either. Skim it. Avengers and X-Men colon Axis number one from Marvel. Axis kicked off this week, and it became immediately apparent that the stuff I'm excited about is still a ways down the line. <laughs> right now, it's just more of the same thing we've been getting in Uncanny Avengers, but with more characters. Sadly, Adam Kubert is a bit off his game here as well. Really? Yeah. I'm ready yet. Skim it, but I'm still excited for what's coming up. October Faction number one from IDW. Steve Niles gives us the heartwarming tale of a family of monster hunters living in a haunted house illustrated by Damien Worm, who yeah. obviously graduated from the Ashley Wood Ben Templesmith School of Art, but never completely wanders into the abstract like his brother Menton 3. This is exactly what you'd expect from Niles. It's dark, it's slightly disturbing, and full of enough mystery and creepiness to leave you wanting more. I really liked it, giving this a buy it. Fish, one shot from No Brow Press. No Brow Press continues its 17 by 23 series featuring the talents. That's 17 centimeters by 23 centimeters say, for even, you. I don't know uh, what that means. For you Americans. Yeah. Featuring the talents of different European cartoonists. So 17 by 23, so it's like six feet by nine feet. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly okay. right. Got it. Fish features a short story by Bianca Bangarelli about Milo, a young boy that has become overwhelmed with grief after the deaths of his parents, haunting and beautiful, but expensive. How much is it? That exchange rate is a killer. How much? 11 bucks. Whoa! How many pages? It's just a, it's comic-sized. Whoa! <laughs> but, dear no-brow, 
find a Canadian printer. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, it's beautiful. Definitely worth a look. It's a strong skimmit. I mean, I get it 11 bucks. That's crazy. But it's wonderful. Support the talent. Okay. Exo Manowar number zero from Valiant. If for some damn fool reason you still have not checked out Exo Manowar, this is the perfect issue to pick up. Robert Venditti shows us the story of young Arik, that's the guy in the suit, in his first battle against the Roman forces. Clay Man is on art duties here, and he has never looked better. His sweeping splash pages of the ancient battlegrounds with watercolored skies are just amazing. I am so glad he has come into his own style and doing such high-quality work. This comic is made to be read with a power metal soundtrack. It's Conan wearing Iron Man's armor, and I f***ing love it. Buy it. Clank! That is your ludicrous speed round, and clank is the sound of Eric of Dacia's sword splitting a Roman shield as seen in this week's issue of Exo Manowar number zero from Valiant. With a little help from my man, Cloak, we were able to escape from our quarantine and travel through the dark dimension back to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. I love that continuity. Only there's a catch. I promised him he helped us escape. We would listen to him cry about his rocky relationship problems with Dagger. So, he's a whiner. Get comfortable, Joey, because this is going to take a while. While he's whining about the trouble with dating white girls, what tell do you me say? about it. We tell the kiddies what we're excited to read next week. I've been there, brother. Ooh. My pick for next week is Q2, The Return of Quantum and Woody, number one from Valiant Entertainment, written by Christopher Priest, with art by M.D. Bright. I'm so excited for this. Here's your solicit The most demanded returning comics is finally here. The original Quantum and Woody are back. Legendary creators Christopher Priest and M.D. Bright returned to one of the most acclaimed series of the modern era for an all-new miniseries event. Whatever happened to the world's worst super team? 20 years past their prime, the unlikely crime-fighting duo known as Quantum and Woody, not a couple, have long since parted ways. <laughs> it's like, you may as well say no homo. Hashtag no homo. Until a middle-aged Quantum suddenly reappears with a brand new teenage partner. Now Woody is out to break up the all-new, all-different Quantum and Woody and put an end to Quantum's recklessness, just as Quantum takes on a life-or-death personal mission for national security. Can these former friends set aside their differences and their age and their numerous health difficulties (laughs) to join forces one last time without driving each other crazy? Dude, I love Quantum and Woody. I If I had the power to make Christopher Priest a millionaire and ensure that he was living comfortably for the rest of his life, I would do it without a thought. I love that guy. I love that he's back. Funny story. Christopher Priest became a real priest. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's he a non-denominational a priest. Preacher. It's crazy. <laughs> I love it. Can't wait for this one. I'm just, I'm such a huge fan of that book. And when the 90s attempt to revive Valiant tanked, when Acclaim Comics went out of business, was a heartbreaker. Yeah, it really a was. Heartbreaker. That series was fantastic. And Christopher Priest just like vanished, man. Yeah. After he, he stopped writing Black Panther, I I'm like so some, glad that I he's feel coming like his back. Heart was broken. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of it. Like, r- current writing comics in the current climate just wasn't yeah appealing to him. It was tough at that time. So I'm glad he's back. I'm glad Mark Bright is back. I'm excited for Quantum and Woody. Let's do it. Matt Bomb, did you even pick a pick this I week? I did. My pick is Sleepy Hollow, number one, from Boom Studios, written by Marguerite Bennett, with art by Jorge Colejo. Sure. Cover by Phil Noto, and it's f***ing awesome. Here's why I am excited. As fans of Sleepy Hollow television series, now entering its second season on Fox, plug, we knew we had to make a comic just as haunting, engaging. This is obviously... The, the Boom Studios solicits are yeah, terrible. This is someone speaking from Boom. It, th- these are actual solicits. Boom is talking to retailers yes. saying, this is why we think this book is Which, cool. You know, there's something to be said for that. Like, they come out yeah, with... No, I love it. And I'm going to start over. Why we love it from Boom. There you go. As fans of the Sleepy Hollow television series, now entering its second season on Fox, we knew we had to make a comic just as haunting, engaging, and visually gorgeous as their show itself. Featuring multi-layered characters, intense visuals, okay, yada, yada, yada. This is going to bridge the gap 
in between Sleepy Hollow Season 1 and Season 2. You don't have to read it to watch the show, but if you want a little more, here you go. And Marguerite Bennett is great. Jorge Calejo is awesome. This is going to be fun. I love Sleepy Hollow. It has some of the scariest, like, occult bad guys on TV right now. Mm-hmm. It's a ridiculous premise. I totally agree, but it works. It's so fun. And it's, it's fun. It's so much better than you think it should be. I'm super excited for this. Yeah, me too. The THN trade of the week is the Yusagi Yojimbo Saga Volume 1 from Dark Horse Comics, written and illustrated by Stan Sakai. Here's your solicit. Celebrating the 30th anniversary of Stan Sakai's beloved rabbit Ronin, Dark Horse proudly presents Miyamoto Yusagi's epic trek along the warrior's path in a new series of deluxe compilations beginning with over 600 pages of Yusagi's essential adventures. Collecting Yusagi Yojimbo Volume 2 for some reason, 1 through 16, and Volume 3, 1 through 6, what happened to Volume 1? You know, I think there's something, it's like they're not sure who owns Volume 1 or, oh, like, or something sure. like that. That's like fair. Dark Horse didn't own it at that time. Well, yeah, the, it was originally Eclipse or something. or something. It was either Eclipse or Fanagraphics. I don't know, but anyway. I think it's that. Stan Sakai's series gets the deluxe treatment from Dark Horse. Over 600 pages of samurai action and adventure, full color cover gallery. Yusagi Yojimbo has won multiple awards and been published all over the world. It is also coming out in a limited edition hardcover, 900 signed. I know. Yusagi Ujimbo, a comic beloved. Book Joe Patrick just discovered this year. Listen, that doesn't mean I don't ever. You know what? I recently received a gift from my boss at Legend Comics and Coffee. He gave me that thing. Oh, cool. That two volume slipcase 10th anniversary or 20th anniversary, whatever anniversary it is. Oh, it's more It's like that. the first 10, but it's yeah. the first 10 years, right? Yeah. And it's amazing. Uh, Fanographics put it out. It's and incredible. he gave me one year to get through it, or else he's going to reclaim it. Okay. It's <laughs> wonderful. But I'm excited about it. This is going to be sort of like Walking Dead compendium style, where it's a ton of stuff. Yeah. For an amount that will not break your bank. If you haven't read Yusaki Jimbo, obviously, it gets the THN seal of approval. There you go. Make it happen. When you're done listening to your buddy cry about their crazy significant sex partner, let us know what you're looking forward to reading over at the THN forum. That theme from Revenge of the Nerds must mean it's time to play Ask a Nerd, where we reach into the THN digital mailbag and pull out a comic question or trivia challenge from one lucky listener. This week, our very own THN love slave and writer of Batman Forever, a blog following the weekly Batman Eternal series, and entertainment editor for the Omaha World Herald. Yeah, sure. He does that, too. His name is Kevin Coffey. <laughs> he writes, quote, Dear Joe and Matt, if you don't give me a raise, I will be forced to chew through one of my wrists, and you'll be forced to deal with me at that point, even if it's just, even if it's just cleaning up my corpse. Also, I'm curious. That beginning part, I feel like, was embellished. I don't know. I mean, like, he sounds serious. <laughs> he would never say forced twice in the same period. No, he's a writer. He's he a good knows. writer. Yeah. yeah. I wrote this on the blog. How much do Marvel and DC's movies affect their comics? Do you think there are certain storylines or characters Marvel avoids using so as not to grant Fox new material? Or do you think DC is shifting its comics properties to match the films? I feel like we've seen it both ways, such as the new Green Arrow basically becoming a comic version of the show. But we also saw DC do the death of Batman right when one of the Nolan films was released. Good question. It's an excellent question. I think Marvel is much more sensitive to this stuff than DC is in the sense that Marvel is building a larger continuity with their movies, whereas DC seems to be building continuity with their TV shows, like having people pop up. Like, in we're going to talk about The Flash in the answer of the week, but there is a scene where he goes and talks to Arrow. Like the Green Arrow, yeah, Ollie they, Queen. They exist in the same From universe. the Arrow television show, directly connecting those shows. He first appeared in Arrow. And he first appeared in Arrow, yeah. So I think DC is a little more sensitive to it. As far as the comics go... Well, the difference is, though, Warner Brothers owns everything that happens. Yes, absolutely. Whereas Marvel And Marvel is splintered. ...collecting rights for stuff. There was a conspiracy theory that we reported on a couple months ago about Marvel playing down the X-Men. And the Fantastic Four. And the Fantastic Four. So as not to give Sony and Fox any undue advertising or hype for their movies. 
And at the time, we both went, oh, pish posh. What? Are, that's ridiculous. I don't think I went pish posh. Yeah, we both kind of did. No, but I think then, it's totally legit. But then more stuff started happening. Right. And it started to get a little strange. <laughs> like, most recently, there's this new, like, secret war stuff they're talking about. There's a new secret war coming that does not feature one single X-Men. There's nobody on the poster. Okay, I'll give you that. But the X-Men editor came out and said, no, 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 come on. The X-Men are in this event. So I'm thinking that maybe they're just purposely avoiding using them in marketing, maybe. That could be, but we have definitely seen that. The Fantastic Four, for example? I think it's ending. Yeah. I think that they've... They've been teasing it for the last couple of days, but I think it's actually ending. Now, to be fair, James Robinson's Fantastic Four has not been selling very well. So I don't know. We can't know if it is a product of sales or yeah, I think if we can. there I, is something going on. I think that a book like Fantastic Four, if its sales are in the toilet... You get a different creator. They, they rebrand the right. Fantastic Four right. with new creators or a new number one or whatever. They've done it a million times. Sure. They don't stop publishing Detective Comics because nobody likes Detective Comics. Right. And I don't think you're going to stop publishing Fantastic Four. I, I think, think, it'll I get think reworked. that it's a happy coincidence that they can take this book off the board for a while and not really lose much. So is this no longer a conspiracy? Are we deciding it's a fact? I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think it's happening and they're not admitting it. it like the evidence is right before us, but no one at Marvel is going to say, yeah, we're not... We're purposefully avoiding these characters. Well, I, I get that. No that, one will say that. But that's crazy, right? I don't think it's crazy. <laughs> crazy. I think it's shrewd. <laughs> I think it's shrewd, especially if their end game is to just say, look, if you're going to keep a stranglehold on these characters that yeah. we sold off in a moment of weakness, right. that's fine. You're not going to get any f-ing help from us. Stretch your metaphor, but if it's the only muscle you can flex, maybe that's what you do. Yeah, you know? right. I mean... I don't know. And again, it doesn't mean that the X-Men aren't going to continue or that the Fantastic Four won't be back. No, the X-Men is still one of their highest selling, I mean, properties. Right. And so. and that's why I think... So they're like, we're never using Wolverine again. We're done. <laughs> well, they did kill him. Yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. Mm, there's a nerd bed on the table. And he's it. not dead yet. <laughs> he's so. one issue to go. It's the longest death scene ever. <laughs> it really is. So I think there's something to it, basically. Long story short, I think there's something to it. To answer your question about how do the films and television shows affect the comics, I think at first it happens very subtly over time until that's the way it is and you don't remember why. Green Arrow, for example. Oh, for sure. Huge shift suddenly. Just bang. It, it just so If you like the TV show, you're going to like the comic. That the New 52 reboot perfectly primed that character to be a blank slate so that they could do whatever they wanted to it. Ugh. And now, like with number 35, it is just... It's Arrow the comic. They've given in. They've, it's, yeah, yeah they've totally absolutely given in. Is. It's even written by the guys that make the show. Yeah. And that's their right. I suppose. But you know what? Hawkeye also in the Avengers slowly became much yeah. more like Jeremy Renner. Yeah, look at him. He's not wearing the he's not wearing the face thing anymore with the points or whatever. What it just was. happened to Nick Fury and who's running around calling himself Nick Fury? Yeah. I mean, these things happen. It baffles me to think that there is this secret audience of people waiting to buy comics that look like the movies. Or who bought uh, Secret Avengers, for example? Right. Starring Nick Fury Jr. and Phil Coulson because, oh, hey, those guys are in the movies. Right. You know, like it, it's almost like they're preaching to a, a group of people. That does not exist. You know what I mean? I mean, they must exist. But no one's going to walk in. No one. I guarantee there's not a comic shop in the world where someone walked in and went, hey, is there a Phil Coulson comic? No, that didn't happen. I, You that know what? did not happen. I, I think that for you to speak that absolutely about it means it has to be true. I think it is impossible. I think no. it's impossible. So I'm, I bet you somebody came in and no. said, hey, where can I read more about this guy from the Avengers movie? I'm not going to say that maybe someone came in for the first time and went, hey, I really like the Avengers. Oh, wait a minute. Nick Fury's a white guy? You know, like, maybe, maybe. But I find it really hard to believe that that's a deal breaker where they're like, I am not going to read this. You know, like, yeah. that does not look like Samuel L. Jackson, you know? <laughs> sure, like, sure. Like, I don't buy that at all. Well, I mean, so they're trying to serve multiple masters. And I get it. And it ends up more often than not that they are serving the bigger master and look when it comes arguably down, there are many 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 more movie viewers than there are comic readers well and, and like i was just gonna say arrow has a viewership of well over a million people 
Do you know what Green Arrow, where it would be on the top 300 every month if a million people were buying it? It would not only be number one, it would be the most successful comic book since like 1995 if it was selling one million copies a month. That's just it. So I don't like Arrow. It doesn't do anything for me. I hate it. And I hate the new direction that they have taken with the Green Arrow book. But guess what? I'm in the minority. People like it. I'm wrong. I mean, when it comes down to it, I'm wrong. Yeah. And they have to do what's best for that character and what's best for DC. And if they, if the DC is a business and they're in the business of making money, and if they see the TV show as a hit, they'd be a damn fool not to move Green Arrow in that direction, I guess. It's true. It's not for me. I don't like it, but it makes business sense. Yep, it's true. And you can you can see it happening as far back as the X-Men movies and the Spider-Man movie where- yeah, absolutely. Oh, look, the X-Men are all in black leather. Yeah. For two years. And, oh, wait, does Spider-Man have organic web shooters now? Yeah. No, he did. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, full and, on. Like, these but things, then he, then this he has, got better. This has happened. This has been happening. Yeah. It's not new. It's not new, and it does happen. Uh, I, they will never admit it. Yeah, And, course. in fact, I think a lot of times they will deny it. Not in the sense that they'll say, no, we don't do that. But they'll say stuff like, nope, the comics are the comics, and we do what we want. Right. You do what you want, but it just so happens that what you want is to sell more books. <laughs> so to answer your question, Kevin, yes, I think you are absolutely correct. I think the movies and the TV series definitely affect the comics. And there's no way it can't because movies and TV are watched by way more viewers. The most successful comic books on the stands make news when they sell more than 100,000 copies. That is nothing compared to like the viewership of Sister Wives or the Real Housewives of whatever. I mean, like those shows. The Real Housewives of Douglas County. Yeah. Those shows blow comic book readership out of the water. So to think that a popular TV show based on this isn't going to change the comics, it has to. Yeah. It's sad, but it has to. Well, I mean, it doesn't always have to be sad. Like, I don't mind the way Hawkeye is now. No, I don't either. And I don't even mind Nick Fury Jr. What what bothers me is when it happens at- Although I love Nick Fury. Right. What bothers me is when it happens at the expense of something good. I.e. Arrow. Arrow was already broken. But I think Nick Fury is the A number one example. Like, Marvel has essentially- flushed the original Nick Fury down the toilet. And it was a dumb way to do it. Too. Yes. It, it really and we're not going to get crazy into no. it. But when they do stuff like that, when they make a change and then scrap something beloved, right. that's when it bothers me. I think there's a way for these things to coexist. And But I'm not, a, I'm not in marketing. I don't work for Marvel. I don't work for Disney. I think it does happen. It is my opinion that the way that they coexist is to... Keep writing quality stories in the way that you've been doing it for the people that love the comics and accept the fact that someone coming from the TV show is intelligent enough to understand. Well, wouldn't that be nice? That this is different, but also great. We are dealing with Americans. That's perfect world. Yeah. And will never happen. No offense. <laughs> no, no offense. F- you, America. No offense. You bunch of dummies. All of us. <laughs> Thank you for your question, Kevin. That was really good. Man, we had a lot more to say about that than I thought we would. Sort of break it it down like this. And that is it for episode 181 of THN. If you understood enough of our hipster lingo to follow along, then you are in the club and you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn, where we still need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, or your hearts because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors. And if you want to keep us in skinny jeans and single source fair trade juice smoothies, you can do that. I don't understand that sense at all. But you've got to have them. You can do so by clicking our hashtag gluten-free PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the make this donation monthly box. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. And if you're interested in sponsoring this embarrassment of a podcast, shoot us an email with a subject line sponsorship hashtag sponsorship hashtag sponsorship there you go while you're there you can find links to all of our contact info via hashtag twitter hashtag youtube hashtag facebook hashtag skype and the ziggurat hotline hashtag 402-819-4894 
refusing this ironically dressed list of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for a new read, defend your questionable nerd taste in front of the two-headed judge for our Defender segment, or ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, be it digital, written in American Standard Code for Information Interchange, or ASCII. Hipster programmer. Yeah, ASCII is real hipster. (laughs) Whatever. It worked out well for the Parallel Man, guys. It could work out well for you. And don't forget to go sign up for the THN forums. It's your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, post videos of you sliding through a red light and getting run over by cars on your fixie because you don't have any f***ing brakes, or just wrap about this week's comics. Remember to follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums. You know what? We need an Instagram. That's all there is to it. We do? We're behind the times. We need a Tinder account and an Instagram. <laughs> we need to date other people. Do we have to have sex with people? Listen, I mean, I'm what, into it. Don't get me wrong. It's what the kids are doing. <laughs> you need to do all that shit if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. Also, go to our forums and then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast. Hashtag podcast. But if you need more THN in your life now, get over to twoeditornerd.com and check out the ludicrous speed reviews by Aaron Myers, Batman Forever by our very own Kevin Coffey, who submitted Ask a Nerd this month. And hey, if you've got an idea that you'd like to pitch for twoheadednerd.com, lay it on us. We want to hear it. Yeah. We need to do something. Audio, to, video, written, whatever you want, man. We need to do something to fill in all the dead space caused by our love slaves that can't get anything done. Specifically, Tony Dugride. Calling you out, TD Dubs. Listen, <laughs> he's a family man. He's got a comic empire. Pshaw. Next week. The comic pushers will be making new addicts out of one lucky listener when they suggest some new, highly addictive funny books. But before we go, a weekly shout out goes to legendary DC Comics and artist and co-creator of Aqualad and Metamorpho. By the way, where the f*** is Metamorpho? I don't know. Yeah, right? He kind of slipped through the cracks. Regardless, Ramona Fraden created Aqualad and Metamorpho, recently celebrated her 88th birthday. Braden's name may not be the most recognizable, but her work still inspires comics artists six decades later, 60 years ago, back when it was hard for ladies to work in comics, man. She did it. Word to you, Ramona. And until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer is guaranteed to kiss you on the mouth for it. Your retailer just might check out your Tinder profile. (laughs) This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Hashtag signing off.